Good morning. Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed at all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what was written by the prophet. Then he quotes from Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went there on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Thanks be to God, this is his holy word. I'd like to imagine that you are outside at night, somewhere wild and open, far from city lights, maybe you know, on a mountaintop, and it's a clear night long, long ago. We're back at the very beginning. At creation, in the inky darkness above, suddenly God is flinging stars into the sky. To us, it might seem like to be a billions of years, but for God, it's only an instant because time is irrelevant to God. The stars and galaxies scatter across the universe, glowing and twinkling, and just imagine millions of shooting stars streaming with bright tails across the heavens to find their places in distant galaxies. There has never been a greater fireworks show. Where there was once only darkness, now there is gleaming, glittering light. You know, there are about 6 billion people alive on our planet right now, and you could take every one of those 6 billion people, name a star after them in our galaxy, and there would still be almost 94 billion stars that go unnamed. And that's just in the Milky Way galaxies. Astronomers estimate, say, that there are some 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the universe. Each one has hundreds of billions in stars. In other words, there could be a galaxy out there for every star in the Milky Way. A recent German supercomputer simulation put the number of galaxies even higher to 500 billion. That means there's trillions and trillions of stars in our universe. The number is so large, we can't even begin to comprehend it. Our minds would just go into overload trying to think about it. And that's not all. Think of the expanse God created. On average, our moon is about 200,000 miles away from the Earth. Pluto is nearly 10 billion miles away. The nearest star to our star is the Proxima Centauri, and it's only, you know, 25 trillion miles away, just a Sunday drive. Beyond that is the space between galaxies, which we can't even begin to comprehend, and beyond that, possibly no ending. These distances are so vast that no human mathematical equation is ever going to be able to measure it. And all of our created universe is just the mere whisper of God's voice. The Creator 
knows each of these lights. He knows which ones we humans will eventually connect with invisible lines and call constellations. He knows which ones will burn out and streak across our night sky as they extinguish their gaseous flames. And he knows the one celestial event that will one day pulse and glow and serve as a beacon to lead and direct seekers from afar to his newly arrived son, Jesus. That light would pierce the darkness with a unique person purpose. It would serve as a beacon, uh, not only to signal the birth of Christ, the coming of the long-promised Messiah, but also to guide people to him. The heavenly event guided the Magi, these astronomers from Persia, who traveled across deserts and mountains to Bethlehem. It lit the night for shepherds. It announced the arrival of the Christ child as the bright morning star whose light shines brightest, calling all of us to see him, drawing us all to himself to seek and find him. You see, in the twinkling of that heavenly light, we have to remember that God used this, this celestial beacon for a reason. God wanted, God desired a response from those who saw it. He didn't just put this cosmic light show on for no purpose. God was looking for an audience to come and honor his son. Like a magnet, the star was supposed to draw people to the Christ child. But what we see in the gospel story of the Magi is that not everybody responded the way God intended. Think with me for a moment about these wise men who came to see the Christ child. We don't really know how many there were in this caravan from the east, the traditional three comes from the three gifts mentioned in verse 11, but there could have been many more than that. Well, who were they? We're told they came from the east, probably what is now modern-day Iran or Iraq. They were magicians. They were masters of secret lore who dabbled in astronomy and astrology. They were not Jewish or people who believed in Yahweh, the God of Israel. That's why some church traditions celebrate this event as the season of Epiphany, the 12 days after Christmas in honor of these first non-Jewish people to worship Jesus. Well, whoever they were, they were sincere seekers after truth. And somehow through their studies, they knew that a king was to be born among the Jews. They saw a star that indicated to them that this event was ready to happen, and they followed it to Jerusalem. It's possible they were familiar with the many Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah's birth because of the prophet Daniel. If you remember his story, Daniel was taken from Israel and brought to the Babylonian kingdom 600 years before the birth of Christ, 605 BC to be precise. God gave Daniel this unique ability to interpret dreams and because of his leadership skills, he rose in the ranks of those who served the Babylonian king. Daniel became one of the leading magi, these advisors to the king. And in that role, he would have introduced the other magi to the many biblical prophecies about God's Messiah, such as Numbers 2, verse 17, which is about a star. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not yet. A star will come out of Jacob, and a king will rise out of Israel. You see, a star, a king, when you see one, the other is coming. The fascinating thing is that other ancient historians tell us that at the same time, the whole Roman world was gripped with a feeling of, of trepidation about the coming of a new king. The first century Roman historian uh, Suetonius wrote this, There had spread over all the East an old established belief that it was fated at that time for a man coming from Judea to rule the world. In the Roman historian Tacitus, who lived during the same first century time period, he wrote, There was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was to grow powerful, and a ruler coming from Judea was to acquire a universal empire. 
Isn't that amazing? Somehow God had gotten the message out through both the Babylonian and Roman empires, completely apart from the Bible. Something special was about to happen. It's clearly prophesied in Scripture. But amazingly, the Messiah's birth was also announced in other cultures as well. Though the picture was not as fully developed as in Scripture, it was a little blurry. The world was on tiptoe waiting for the arrival of this king. And the star was the omen that pulled the trigger on the whole event. And so these travelers came to the capital city, Jerusalem, because it was the obvious, natural place to look for a baby king. Where else would a king be born but in a castle? Imagine their surprise and disappointment. Nobody could tell them anything. No preparations were being made for the birth of this king. Some of you will remember when Prince Charles and Princess Diana had their first son. If you had been in London at that time, everybody knew what was going on. Everywhere, people were selling t-shirts and banners and buttons Everybody welcoming the new royal baby. And that's what the Magi were sort of expecting in Jerusalem, a, a wall-to-wall celebration. And they just join in the grand procession to honor this royal birth. So you can almost hear them saying, what, what's going on? Have we come all this way for nothing? Why, a shepherd makes more fuss over the birth of a lamb than these people do over the birth of a king. But their inquiries made enough of a stir that they got noticed by King Herod. Herod didn't like these rumors about a new king. He had tyrannized the Jewish people for 30 years. He thought maybe somebody was stirring up another rebellion, and he had brutally squashed many in his time. History tells us that Herod was insanely suspicious. He was so filled with paranoia, he murdered his own wife, murdered three of his sons. In the ancient Greek, the word for pig and the word for son sound very similar. So the common joke was it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. So while Jerusalem shivered at the thought of Herod's retribution, Herod gathered all the religious scholars and leaders to see if they could give him any information about this child king. And, and this is the shocking part. They had studied the scriptures backwards and forwards, and they knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. In verse 5 and 6, they quote the prophecy from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It's Bethlehem, no doubt about it. A prophecy written over 500 years before Jesus was born. One of over 300 specific Old Testament prophecies about this coming Messiah, all fulfilled by Jesus. There were many people like Anna and Simon mentioned in the Gospel of Luke's account of Jesus' birth. People like them who were eagerly awaiting the birth of the Messiah. But these religious leaders in Jerusalem, they knew and they didn't care. They knew and did nothing. Their response to the star was apathy. Total apathy. Perhaps that's the problem when people have too much religion and not enough faith. I mean, they could discuss religion, debate the meaning of scriptures until they were blue in the face, but there was no personal connection. They could talk, analyze, argue, but never personally believe, personally be invested. What a tragedy, because it's still true today. People can know the message of Christ, and yet it has no impact on their lives whatsoever, like water off a duck's back. You know the attitude, a little religion is okay, but don't take it too seriously. Uh, they might even be religious-looking folks, church-going people, but there's no inner response of the heart. And so the greatest distance is always in the world is the 12 inches between the head and the heart. Head knowledge about the birth of Jesus has got to be translated into a heart and soul response. If people think that they know the message of Christ and yet they're indifferent or apathetic to actually living for Christ, what that tells me is that they don't really know who Jesus is. If someone really knows Jesus to be the Emmanuel, the with us God, 
You can't be indifferent to his call. Knowing who Jesus really is has to alter your view of the world, has to alter the way you think about your own life. The more likely scenario is that people think of Christ only as like a spare tire for your car, something you pull out in emergencies. Faith in Christ is only for emergencies, and the rest of the time, you know, I'll do what I want. That's the attitude. There's nothing sadder than seeing someone who knows about Christ, but who is so blasé, so humdrum about their own faith that, that they don't really know Christ. If you know Jesus to be God with us, that's got to light a fire in your heart and give you a passion to live for him. In the first response to the star, there was apathy. The second response was anger. That was Herod's response. Because of his own fears, Herod saw this new Messiah as a threat to his power, which indeed he was, not politically, but spiritually. Herod tries to deceive the Magi into revealing you know, which, which, which baby was, was going to be the Messiah under the pretense of wanting to worship the Christ child himself, but he never intended that. God intervened, warned the Magi, they evaded Herod on their journey home. But what followed was a heinous atrocity in his sick rage Herod ordered that every baby boy under the age of two in the surrounding area be killed. It's an evil atrocity that history now calls the slaughter of the innocents. That's why if you go on reading in the gospel, that's why Joseph and Mary take the baby Jesus and they flee as refugees to Egypt. And they don't come back until Herod's dead. There are people today who respond to Jesus with anger. Especially at Christmas, because there are a lot of forces at work in our culture that try to suppress the Christmas message of Christ's birth. People who fear, you know, a crash on public land or a Christmas carol in a school music program or who are offended if you say Merry Christmas. I mean, that's irrational to me, especially when you consider that there are places in the world where Christians have to be very careful about putting up Christmas decorations. Places in the world actually where our military personnel have to call their Christmas worship services morale meetings. I can understand that some people are wounded and, and hurt and turn the focus of that pain towards God. You, you know, you might have a friend or a relative, a co-worker who's been turned off to Christ by some negative experience in their past. And there's, you know, like a deep chasm in their hearts because there's some bitter disappointment in their lives. They felt like God, you know, let them down or they were hurt by somebody. I can understand that. And God understands that too. But what I can't understand are the people who are just intent on erasing faith from all public conversation. There is an anger out there directed at Christ and at Christmas. Just as Jesus was a threat to Herod's power, so Jesus is still a threat to people today because he does demand control over our lives. He makes the rules, he calls the shots, and no matter how loving Christ may be, people still rebel against that, rebel against yielding to his divine authority. People want to be their own gods. They don't want to admit that Jesus is the one who stands at the center of the universe, who stands at the center of all things, that Jesus is the one who should stand at the center of every person's heart. People don't want to accept that. Jesus is the one who can say what is right and what is wrong. Some folks don't like that. Some folks get very emotional about their rebellion, and they lash out in anger because of their pain and because they cannot bend the knee before Jesus Christ. The religious leaders responded to the star with apathy. King Herod responded with anger. But the wise men responded to the star with adoration. These foreign seekers of the truth, they were open to God. They were honest in their searching. They didn't know everything, but they responded to what they did know. 
They followed the leading of God's Spirit through the star of Bethlehem and came to the Christ child. And when they found him, they worshipped him. They brought their most precious gifts to him. And I'm sure they were still pretty confused. They didn't know all the facts. They didn't know any doctrines. They couldn't explain the Trinity or even understand that, that Jesus would one day grow up to be the suffering servant who would die for our sins and their sins and be raised to life in glory. They didn't know any of that. They just worshipped this Christ child who could do nothing for them. He was a baby. He was completely helpless, couldn't do anything for himself, and yet they were lost in the wonder of pure adoration. Adoration. That's important for us to remember. You may not know everything there is to know about Jesus and God and faith. The key question is, how are you responding to what you do know? How are you responding to what you do know? Don't use what you don't know as an excuse for not pursuing what you do know. You know, if we could just live out what we already know about Christ, what a tremendous difference that would make in the world and how we live. If we could just live out the parts of the Bible that we already know, what a tremendously different effect that would have in our lives. The star of Bethlehem was there to evoke a response. It got apathy and anger and adoration. And so that's your choice. The star really is the light of Christ's love showing us the way to God himself. The star marked Jesus' arrival, but he is the true light of the world. Later in Jesus' life, he spoke to his disciples and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. No matter how dark your life might feel right now, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what pain or sadness you feel, the star's light shines for you. It's God's invitation to come and experience his presence and power, his mercy and love. And as you step into the unknown, your way will be illumined by Jesus, the true light of the world. So let's follow the example of the Magi who responded to the star and knelt at the manger, worshiped the Emmanuel, the God with us, Christ the Lord. Not anger, not apathy, but adoration. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the story of these Magi, Lord, because they're more like most of us who don't really know the full story. But Lord, help us to respond to what we do know. Give us that passion to follow you, that this with us God, this Emmanuel, this tremendous gift that you've given to us, your very self, your very presence in human form, Lord. Thank you for coming and for being so vulnerable to be a baby that had to be cared for in a manger. May we come now this Christmas and in our hearts kneel at your manger side, Lord, and worship you. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.